to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review our show. I'm your host, William Lou, and I'm joined by Blake Murphy uh, on a Thursday. Producer, do we have a Blake Murphy Thursday? No? Can we play Blake Murphy Tuesdays at least? No? <laughs> no? All right. Okay, all right. What's up, man? Yeah, it's too bad. All right, producer got it's okay. It's all good, Blake. How you doing, man? You good? I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be here on a Thursday this time. It just made sense with uh, doing the day after the opener instead of yeah. the day before the opener. Yeah. We'd done, I mean, not you and I together, but we'd done enough of the setup between the two of us over the over the last couple of weeks. So it's nice to have actual stuff to break down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no more setup stuff. Like, we actually got a really nice game. The Raptors um, taking down the Cavaliers. 108 to 105 in the home opener, in the season opener. I think there was a big contrast to last year's season opener. I mean, obviously, Pascal being there really helps, and having yeah. a lot of experience <laughs> really helps, and having some, uh, you know, better depth players helps. But having more than like three guys who know the defense helps. Yeah. No, last year was, it was, was nasty. The Raptors, were, I think, were down like 25, maybe even 30 at some points. Um, this one really. Close game between two pretty good teams. Actually, I wanted to start with your impressions of, of Cleveland first off because uh, I think obviously they made one of the biggest moves in the Eastern Conference getting Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell was great. What, what, uh, he had 31 points, nine assists, was the main thorn in the Raptors side. What do you think of Cleveland before we sort of move on to the Raptors? Yeah, I think they're good, man. I think we're going to be talking about them a lot this season. I think if things go as well as they hope and as well as we hope with the Raptors, we're going to be talking about these two teams contrasted against each other a lot the next couple of years. And obviously it started last year with Mobley and, and Scotty Barnes being one, two in the rookie of the year race. We're probably going to see those guys trade the top spot and obviously Cade and Jalen and a couple other guys can get in there, but this is going to be something to watch in the Eastern conference hierarchy. You also look and with the Donovan Mitchell move, the Cavs got a little bit more, hey, we're we're in now. Obviously, Mobley is very young, but when you look at, oh, the Raptors have Siakam and Van Vliet. Okay, well, the Cavs have Allen and Mitchell now and Kevin Love. It's not, they, they've kind of taken that step from rebuilding team to they're trying to at least be a mid-tier team now. Mm-hmm, right? And I yeah. think it's going to be fascinating to watch both of these teams grow and what they determine are the next steps to take that next jump it's also just really interesting from a philosophical basketball standpoint that cleveland has all guards all centers Mm -hmm. and the raptors have only guys that fit in the middle only wings yeah i thought more more to last night's game i thought mitchell looked really good i think that's a fit obviously we didn't get to see as much of him and darius garland because of the the eye injury garland suffered um and i thought karis lavert had a pretty shaky game I've never seen Karis LeVert only take two shots in a whole half. Yeah. At halftime, I was like, did Karis LeVert shoot? And he's like a shoot first, second, and third kind of guy. So yeah, um, I'm surprised. But I'm surprised he even started, to be honest. I think he makes more sense as a six man. He does, but then I guess, what do you start? Chetty? Okoro. Yeah. Yeah, Okoro's not very good. Okoro didn't play sure. much at all. Like he, He's yeah. a guy, too, that like if you're not going to play him against the Raptors, who have Siakam and Barnes like that. That is the Isaac Okoro role. I thought Okoro was good by the end of last year. Uh, Maybe just the foul trouble got to him in in this one. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I think the Cavs are going to be good, man. I think that's, uh, you know, if Darius Garland doesn't get hurt, that game could turn out differently. Yeah. He was struggling though. I think the Raptors actually guarded Garland really well. Um, He, what he had five turnovers in 13 minutes. Yeah. And he's too free to show him a crowd in the, in the paint, but 
Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, man. I think Cleveland's a tough matchup. Like, for, I think, first and foremost, the rim protection is just really impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think more so Jared Allen was sort of holding it down rather than Evan Mobley himself. But um, it was just hard. Like, the Raptors had multiple chances. Scotty tried to take on Allen early in the game for, like, a, a dunk. Drove it right at him. Challenged him with the basket. Allen got the better of him. Coloco <laughs> missed a pair of dunks. Pascal missed a couple of shots in close. Raptors OG were 11 of 24 at the rim. Last night? Mm-hmm. 11 of 24. Okay, wow. They, Not so, great. 46%. That's, that's like just precious that you were shooting at the rim. Oh, come on, man. Yeah. But yeah, you know what? You're right, though. Um, I think that was the part with Cleveland is like that's still their strength. Like even, mm-hmm. the, even though they got more perimeter firepower, I think, uh, you know, defensively, that's where their, their strengths lie. But listen, the Raptors, um, you know what? Let's start in the fourth quarter because the Raptors were down eight heading into the fourth and they really need to make a push there. To my surprise... And I think to a lot of people's surprise, um, the three-point shooting was going to be a concern for this team. They got back in this game by cashing like four straight threes. So take me through a little bit of what happened in the fourth quarter. How did they make this comeback? And then we'll sort of uh, go through how they closed out the game. Yeah. So Cleveland's going to be good defensively. Jared Allen and Evan Mobley both have more defensive range than just protect the rim. Mm. But this team's philosophy is going to be priority one, two, and three to keep you out of the paint, keep you away from the rim. And what that's going to do, even with two guys as long and as talented as that defensively, you know, there are only so there's only so much space on the floor that those two guys can cover together. So and and then their perimeter defenders are not the best like Donovan Mitchell. We'll see if this whole well, he just didn't try enough in Utah. Mm. We'll see if that plays out. I don't really know yeah. if that's a thing. Um, Karis LeVert looked like he's at least effortful on defense and he's got some length, but there is not a ton of perimeter defense here. So you yeah. combine the fact that they're prioritizing the rim and that their perimeter defenders aren't that great, and you can find your way to some open three-point shots. I thought the Raptors did a really good job of, throughout the game, and this is going to be something we have to watch all year, the first 43 minutes of the game or so, balanced offense, everyone's getting their opportunities. Scotty mm. gets a couple touches. OG gets a couple touches, and it flows like that. And then when the game really mattered and they cut it down close because of that defensive effort, they used that Siakam Van Vliet action yep. over and over again. Yep. And that, you know, that didn't produce all the threes itself, but it produced a couple, and it produced a couple more where it's like, okay, that action sets up the chain reaction then mm-hmm. that gets yep. the Cavs scrambling and maybe pulls one of those guys out from the rim. Um, obviously, like you said, they they came back with the threes in that stretch, but theoretically, that's how you open up the rim in time too, is keep beating them with those those actions on the outside. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, I, I think those two um screens that you're talking about where Fred is setting the, the screen for Pascal at the top of the floor, like it, it's a pet play. Like I, I think Raptor fans know to expect it. Yeah. Probably opposing coaches should know to expect it, but um it's something that we saw quite a bit last season. Here's the thing though, if you expect it and you can go back to 2019, 2020, and they used it a lot too. There was a stretch where I was on a West Coast road trip and and I know they played Sacramento and I think they played the Knicks uh, around that time too. And I wrote a thing at the time of like, hey, when it gets to crunch time, this yeah. is what they're doing. And yeah. at that point, they had Lowry, so they used him in it a little bit too. Yep, yep. But it was like a 4-1 pick and roll mm-hmm. with Siakam over and over again. And you can build a lot from there. If this has this early success, so first of all, last night, they had Van Vliet kind of ghosting or slipping the screen right yeah. away, right? It was yeah. almost like a fake screen, and then he flares out. And we saw, like, that was effective enough that defenders literally fell down. Oh, yeah, no, there was a play. The first time they <laughs> ran it, Mitchell 
was confused. And then Mobley, who was guarding Siakam, was trying to recover out the Fred, and they literally tripped over each other. Yeah. yeah. So. So that's one thing. And then if teams try to adjust for that, mm. you know, you have two playmakers in that action. If Fred then rolls or has to, like we saw him one that Cleveland defended a little bit better. He was able to swing it to Gary Trent jr. In the corner. Yep. And that three flowed from, from that same action. And then you have other ways you can stack that. Like we know that they'll use Fred in kind of Spain pick and roll or stack pick and roll where mm. he screens the screeners man. And then pops back up because he is such a good screener. Then you've got other options if he actually pins the screen right. as well because that forces different challenges. So I think establishing that play late in games early this season, like you said, teams probably know that that's going to come in the clutch. But the more you can establish that early, the earlier you can get into kind of your wrinkles that are going to flow from that too. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you think about the talk of continuity, right, like in the mm -hmm. training camp, there's like, look, the Raptors brought back the same top nine, right, after re-signing Chris and Thad. Um you expect continuity. What does continuity look like? Continuity looks like in game one, you have a very, very well-executed uh, two-man game between your top two players and that the other team wasn't really prepared to guard. Mm -hmm. And so I think it showed up right away. I think it, it's a reliable play for the Raptors. And I think, look, it, it's it's even just in its construction, right? You have a three-point shooter using his gravity to go out to the three-point line. You have a small... It, it's a hard to play to switch. First off, they got to communicate the switch, which I think the Cavs even do that. But like... They gotta if they're gonna switch, you're gonna put a small guy on Pascal. It gives Pascal an opportunity to attack one on one. We've seen times where Fred is attacking the big as well. It depends really on the what whatever matchup's better. But um it, it's a nice play. But I I even think like the Raptors did a really good job of just moving the ball in general in the fourth quarter. Like I think Scotty really got a uh, got that going uh in the early in the fourth quarter where, you know, he found um OG with a cross court pass. Like the Cavs, the way they guard, they really tilt towards the paint, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. right? So if Scotty's handling the ball on the left side of the floor, all the defenders on the right side are just sucking in, basically, mm -hmm. and at the edge of the paint. And so Scotty made a really quick pass to OG for the three. Then he had another drive where he took it into the paint, drew two defenders, kicked it to the corner for OG for three. Then you had Precious, who was in the post. Precious making a pass cross-court out of the post. I've never seen him do that last <laughs> year, by the way. Uh, and then swing, swing up to Fred for three. So it, I think the ball movement, just in general, was really solid in the fourth quarter. And then I think execution-wise, in the last minute of the game, it was still a one or two possession game, and there are a number of key plays there. So I wanted to uh, ask you what kind of plays in crunch time, I'm talking about the last minute there, stood out to you. Yeah, I, just to double back on one thing you said there, I think you know one of the key stats to watch this year for the Raptors in terms of how well is the offense flowing is going to be assists from Barnes and Ananobi. Okay. Because those guys are going to play kind of connector roles or, you know, when we see Miami this weekend, they'll be the guys operating at the nail in the middle of the floor trying yeah. to pass the guys. They're going to be guys. Scotty Barnes' half-court playmaking is probably like the single most important swing skill on a Raptor this year, just in terms yeah. of the offensive upside. And I thought that that high-low where he found OG on the baseline cut was a really encouraging one. Um, down to actual crunch time, though, I mean, the defense stood out to me way more than the offense. Um, they... I think they allowed like a like a point six points per possession over the last five minutes or something oh, like that. Okay, like yeah. it was uh, it was pretty deadly. Um, but yeah, you 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 had a, a lot of stuff in that last minute or so where it, even if it wasn't working necessarily, you you were still seeing good process. And um, you know this was a little earlier than the last minute um, because again the, in the last minute especially like it was basically just free throws mm -hmm, um, yeah. but there was uh, there was an OG drive 
that was really impressive. He took it at I think it was Jared Allen. Yeah, baseline. And Scotty Barnes had done the same, done a similar thing going left earlier. And I just thought that at that point in the game, when you have been deterred and blocked at the rim so much as a team, yeah. that level of conviction in your secondary players, and I don't mean secondary as in yeah, lesser, but they're, they're secondary not, they're scores. Primary, primary playmaker. Yeah, your secondary score is still having the conviction to take it at a Jared Allen type like that yeah. was really encouraging. Yeah, the last minute was a lot of uh, a lot of free throw stuff. But you know what, the free throw stuff. I, I just think that even even that it was very impressive the way the Raptors handled it, right? Because in mm-hmm. a one point game, they had to get the ball inbounded. They they they. they it was interesting because they they took Fred out of bounds to inbound the ball. You you would think that you would want necessarily Fred to be catching the ball and shooting the free throws because he's your best shooter. Uh, and obviously he's a great ball handler. He's not going to turn the ball over, but it was Fred who was taking it out of bounds. So that kind of takes him out of the play in that sense. Right. Uh, but they were able to get the ball into Gary. They're able to sort of move the ball around advance past half court. Uh, and then that play where they came out of the timeout, they lined everyone up on their free throw line, the rugby scrum. And then Gary just cut to the backcourt and literally the Cavs were like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they inbounded to him. Obviously he split the free throws, right? So that pushed him from a two point lead to a three point lead. Obviously if he made both the game's pretty much over. Yeah. However, the Raptors were very smart, took the intentional foul, right? Didn't mm-hmm. allow the Cavs to get the three off, right? And then on, on the ensuing play, Fred's able to throw that hit-ahead pass to Scotty, who uh, had pinned his man behind him, ran up ahead on the play, caught the ball, and then made the extra pass to Precious. To be honest, the only sequence there, I, I think Precious could have taken one extra dribble and just wasted the time, but it's fine. The dunk is cooler. I'm, I'm, I'm all for cooler plays. But yeah, I, I just think that like the smaller kind of details, you need to manage a game in that way because it's not like the Raptors were running away with this game. They need to close it out, and and that 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 was very imp- that was very impressive execution by the team. And I think it speaks to your point about continuity and what that looks like in games. I think it is in these spots where you know who you are, you know what your roles are, you know, like they've run that rugby scrum inbounds play before they they know what they're doing there Mm -hmm. they know there is a level of certainty that oh in this situation with these five guys on the floor yes fred is the best free throw shooter but he's also the safest pair of hands inbounding and he's the you know kind of smartest guy on the floor so you trust him to do that and you can be pretty sure the other team's not going to put a center on him super often even if they do you've still got the backcourt option yeah um i just think there there's a that level of knowing who you are a little bit goes a long way, especially this early part in the season. Like 40 yeah. games in, a lot of teams are going to know what yeah, they want to do in those situations. But I do think you look at these first seven games against tough playoff opponents, and it's it's a leg up. Um, I also thought, yeah, it's a, it's a good example of Nick Nurse having this micro end of game stuff figured out by now, oh, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Not that he was ever even shaky in this late game stuff, but mm. like, they know what they're doing. Yeah. Everyone, there was no miscommunication with, you know, you get that inbounds into Gary Trent in the backcourt and you want to eat time. Mm-hmm. They ate three and a half seconds off the clock, especially yep. with Cleveland not having a timeout. I, I actually wonder if Cleveland has a timeout still, if they don't do that, if they go for more of a right. play to get a look off. Right, right, right. Um, so there's that. There's the everyone knowing, okay, some you got everyone's got to come to Gary after yep. he catches it so you don't get the the inbound or the half-court violation. Um, that like fouling up three on the fly, that's something that sometimes falls between the cracks, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. that's one where afterward you ask a coach, hey, why didn't you guys foul? He said, mm-hmm. well, it was a live play and and you don't have time to talk that over yeah. and not everyone on the on the floor is going, I almost had said on the ice because curling's on the screen. Um, <laughs> not everyone on the floor is uh-huh. that locked in. So I, I just think there was a lot of connectivity, I guess, and like yeah. everyone on the same page down the stretch. And for... 
look, you're playing a team that's roughly your caliber. You're going to have bad stretches of basketball over the course of that game, which they did. But that was a I was really impressed with the fourth quarter, the last five, six minutes, especially. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I would have been sick if the Raptors lost that game. So happily, uh, it would have felt very much like last year's early. Yeah, the Scotty Mobley one. I think it was Scotty's first game back after that mini injury. Yeah, Scotty had a putback yeah. at the very end of the game for a chance to be the game winner and he missed it. Um, yeah, that was that was a heartbreaker. Honestly, it, it, these are going to be tough battles against Cleveland. All right, look, we, we talked about the nerdy stuff mm-hmm. um, about sort of like, you know, end of game, how to get the ball inbounds, advance to play, take intentional fouls. Let's talk about the cool stuff. Pascal Siakam <laughs> putting Evan Mobley on skates. Your thoughts? Yeah. Um, I didn't... This kills me to say... He was This slipping. kills me to say because I think everyone knows how high I am on Evan Mobley. And if I had a, a ballot last year, it would have been a tough... Tough rookie of the year box. Don't to do check. this yourself, Blake. I'm don't, not doing it to myself. I'm, do I, I would have yourself. gone Scotty Barnes, but it would have been good, tough. Good. I didn't think Mobley looked very good last night at either no. end. No. The what? What was the? You posted a a video yeah. earlier, and it was about Fred and Coloco. But the only but I know what you did. That's a minute and twelve second video, <laughs> trying to show. Fred helping Coloco make an adjustment <laughs> in the pick and roll. And you included the defensive possession in between just yeah. so you could sneak in tiny little text, no bag yeah. on a, I think that was a Mobley play, right? Yeah. 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 So Mobley had an opportunity to attack on the wing um, with momentum isolated against a rookie. And he slipped. And he, he, I mean, first off, he tried to use the quickness to get to the baseline. Mm-hmm. Coloco was like, I'm just as quick as you. That guy covers, Cut him up. he covers so much ground. Yeah. By the way, we're going to have a little, we're have a little Coloco discussion yeah. as well. Um, but yeah, no, he got walled up. I mean, I, I think there were really impressive moments from Mobley, you know, when he, like, that spin move in transition mm-hmm. and finished it. He had a mid range jumper that looked really smooth. But I think it's still more theoretical for him mm-hmm. right now and his play creation, even compared to someone like Scotty, who is also an emerging player, obviously coming in the same rookie class. Scotty's miles ahead in, in play creation to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that Evan sort of plays more of your traditional big finishing opportunities kind of play, which is fine. It just, it's just, it's not, he, it's he's not more a very advanced as a shooter at this point, I think, than Barnes, too. Yeah. Smaller samples. It's not but like he's a knockdown shooter no. either, though. But you know what? I think, um, yeah, I mean, just the Pascal, though, I think the footwork and the way he was able to get to the free throw line, the way he was able to score, because it wasn't like Pascal was just living in the paint, and it wasn't like Pascal knocked out a whole bunch of threes to get to his shots. These were really hard-earned buckets that he made, all nine of them last night, got to the free throw line as well, was rebounding as well. I just thought he played an excellent game. Um, even though the the box score, it's 23 and 11. It's, It's pretty good, but it's not, like, way above his averages. But I thought he just... The way he executed and the way he got to his shots last night showed a level of technique and finesse that uh, I really enjoyed watching. Yeah, and there was a there was a stretch too where it was a complete Siakam takeover. I think it was late in the third where he went on kind of like a personal 9-0 run. Mm. And I feel like that's a part of his growth too is that sensing the moment of when am I a playmaker? When, right. when is the offense sputtering? And, and it's my time where I got to get to the rim and I got to get to the free throw line. Bigger, like projecting forward, the biggest part of his game, I think, is the free throws. Mm. Him getting to the line eight times. Yeah. This Raptor team was 25th in free throw rate last year. And Pascal Siakam led the team with 5.6 free throw attempts per game. No one else had more than 3.4. Mm. This is a team, I don't, like, they don't have a DeMar or Kawhi. We're, we're probably past the days. I mean, of, the goal is to turn Pascal into that. Yeah, yeah. The days of having a guy who's an automatic eight or nine free throws a game are pretty far in the past now. But that's... That's a really good way to get easy yeah. offense. And it's a good way to 
not counter that you don't have a lot of natural rim pressure because the more like obviously that's how you get free throws. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's a it's a good indicator of like Pascal's process as a scorer. Yeah. And we've seen over the years that he's so good in that floater range with his spin stuff, with his hook stuff, that sometimes he doesn't always take it right to the rim. And it can be a little frustrating sometimes mm. because if he misses one of those, even though he's very effective on them, if he misses one of those, it's like, oh, well, why didn't he take it to the rim? Last night, it looked like he did not care at all about like he like he was yeah. ready to go to the rim and that was true late in the Philly series too he kind of hit a point in that series where it's like I don't care if Joel Embiid's there and he blocks me whatever like we're down 3 games to nothing yeah, yeah. and I think you saw that last night I don't know I was I was blown away by how, not surprised but I thought Siakam as far as a 23 and 11 with a 9 of 20 shooting line goes that was about the best 23 and 11 on nine to 20 shooting. Like not, I, I don't want to overstate it, but I thought he was really, really good. I also thought he should have probably had five or six assists. Yeah, I agree. There was a, there was a lot of them. Like there's a play where he broke down his defender, then two on one scenario, dumped it off to Christian Coloco. And then he, he blew the dunk, that kind of yeah. stuff, you know, like, but um, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think it, in terms of just like thinking about Pascal's game in general, it was funny. Cause we, we had a discussion with uh, David Thorpe on Tuesday about it. And sort of the question I was asking him was like, how do we get Pascal to this next level? And he talked about a lot of like um, the, the foul drawing, right. And, and the number he mentioned was eight and exactly here tonight, uh, you know, Pascal gets you eight free throws. Now, of course he used to make more than four of eight, uh, but we know he can obviously shoot better than that. But I think the technique in some of the things that he was able to do was really strong. Like, mm-hmm. there's one play that, that my favorite play of the game was not necessarily the one where he sort of put Evan on skates or whatever. That's fine, right? That's, that's it's nice, really. It is nice. But, like, there's another play in the second quarter where he caught the ball in the post against Karis LeVert. There were two defenders by the, by the Cavaliers at, waiting at both edges of the paint, ready to come attack and, and double, right? So the, the goal there should not necessarily be to drive all the way in, especially because the spacing wasn't great. Pascal took his time, backed this guy down, got into sort of that mid-range, almost like painted mid-range area. Then he picked up the dribble, half like shot fake one way to, to move the defender, then spun back the other way, then spun back the other way. <laughs> his defender was completely out of the way at that point. He was able to go up very, very smoothly for about a 12, 13-foot jumper and was able to make that. That A, neutralized the defense because the help defense was always waiting at the basket. So he didn't take it there where he probably would have been blocked or turnover or whatever. And instead, he was able to use his footwork and his fakes to sort of get that shot off. And I think that's the level of finesse that you want to see from him. And, I mean, look, Cleveland is a tough defensive matchup, man. And I know they don't have a wing defender for Pascal, but they can really neutralize the paint with their shot blocking. And Pascal will still be able to be effective. So... It's and like what if we look at the things that have given Pascal Siakam trouble over the years, it's usually a longer defender. And then it's also teams that can have length at the rim in help. Right. And most teams can only do one of those things. Yeah. You can put Evan Mobley on Siakam or have Evan Mobley in oh, help. Siakam was putting Evan Mobley on Siakam with the, with the screens. Uh, I know. He's like Dean Wade. No, thank you. Let yeah. Me get Evan. Yeah. Um, Although he did, he did eat off Dean Wade for a little bit too. So yeah, um, no, but I, I think you're, I think you're right. I, I thought it was great, and I think this is an element of skill layering too, right? Where you know we've seen Siakam. He, obviously the the first thing he had was the spin move, right? Yeah, like of course. The hustle and then the spin move. Yeah. And then we saw him kind of emerge as a as a three-point shooter and then add the mid-range pull-up, and now he's kind of layering those things together where oh, I can combine the footwork that makes me such a great player in the floater range um, and with my with my spin moves and my post moves 
and I can use that to get into my jumper package as well. I think he's just, you know, this is just the next step in him being really difficult to guard. Mm. Yeah. No, Cleveland really struggled with him. And honestly, it was just the foul calls that ultimately knocked him out. Um, OG, you know? Thought he was great. Unsung hero last night's game? Yeah. I mean, I don't know about unsung hero because, like, Raptors Twitter is so, like, you know, I don't want to do the, like, he's he's so, everyone talks so much about how he's underrated that he gets overrated. I don't think he's there yet. No. But I think he's in a point right now where Raptors Twitter is, like, talks about how nobody talks about OG so much that he ends up. And, and, and Ginobili. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, that he <laughs> yeah, uh, he's underrated still. <laughs> that he yes. That he ends up uh getting talked about the most. No, I thought he was terrific last night. Um 18 7 5 and 3. Like that's yeah. a that's a really well-balanced line. It, it certainly looks like he's heard the message about hitting the defensive glass a little harder and using that strength. Some of that's obviously going to be who's he guarding. Yeah. Um, but I think that's, that's a good number for him to have. Obviously the defense is there. And I thought that last night was a good example too, that OG's defensive value isn't just his ability to lock a guy down one-on-one. He's like a super, super high level team defender, knowing where to be and anticipating yeah. what his teammates are going to do and what they need from him. Oh, and that I, chase down block and transition. My oh. goodness. Like, I don't know where he came from for that one. No, I don't. I don't know. And like that one's so impressive because it's not like one on O in transition. And yeah, you just, yeah. it wasn't his guy. You just catch up to the guy. No, he had to come from the side and like weave through a teammate and yeah. another Cavalier. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was something else. He's, he looks good. Yeah, I mean, and, and listen, like, it's the thing with OG, too, is that it's not it doesn't have to be his own primary play creation. Like, not every single star necessarily needs to, like, handle the ball, do their little Luka impersonation, and then <laughs> just break the whole defense down and, and score a layup. Like, I, I think what really OG does such a good job of is playing off of his teammates, whether mm-hmm. that's from him hitting the two catch-and-shoot threes, whether that's him crashing the offensive glass, getting the offensive rebound, then, you know, finding pressures on a cut for a layup in the fourth quarter whether that's him, you know, uh, jumping a passing lane because Evan Mobley can't get by Christian Coloco and he throws a, a helicopter pass across the field and you know, he's able to pick it off. Like, it's it's the plays around the rest of the guys. And Probably the that, best cutter on the team, too. Yeah, and a really great cutter. You made that drive on the baseline against uh, Jared Allen. You know, like, the thing is, like, sometimes when you see OG go into his bag and he's, like, trying to attack a guy and he's, he's not fully able to... Like, there was a play in the first quarter where he went one-on-one against Evan Mobley and it's like, all right, you know, like, this... It's not necessarily what we need, right? But um, I, I think that when he sort of fits into his role, he he's, he excels in it so much, and it, it really, you know, helped the rest of the team. I thought Fred really played as well. By the way, only Fred, only nine shots. Yeah. So what's what's going on? We uh, is reinvention here, you know? Nah. No. What did you like? I think they only have, nine shots. That's that's rare for Fred. Fred can do that in like a quarter. So they have to take a little bit of time here to figure out exactly what the right balance is of Fred on the ball, Fred off the ball. Some of that's going to depend on the shooting other guys provide for in terms of spacing. Mm. Um, But I think that Van Vliet knows like if he doesn't have to take those late clock pull-ups, his percentages are going to be better. (laughs) Like I I I don't, I don't mean he's not shooting because he's worried about his percentages. He's obviously shown he's very willing to take those. I just think that if, you know, if you're looking at the box score after the game and he's like, Oh, I took the the sixth most shots on the team. I don't think he cares that much. If he got 15 points on nine field goal attempts. Um, Also, he was a monster defensively. Like that late, that late offensive rebound where he yanked it from, I think it was Jared Allen. And he just kind (laughs) of jumped a bunch of times batting at it. (laughs) 
It's uh, uh, he is so annoying. Yeah, there were two instances where Jared Allen ended up on the ground after getting his after getting an offensive rebound. Yeah, and that sparked the Raptors. Imagine you're play. seven feet tall and you you're you're holding you, it above your head too. So and, that's like nine feet in the air. And you lose the ball and fall, and you turn around, and it's Fred Van Vliet running away with yeah, it. Come on, man. That's uh, no, hang you know your what? head. I do believe Fred is six foot now. You know, Fred. What what what, what was Fred quote? Like uh, I'm six nine in my heart. Yeah, that's six nine in your heart right there. Like that's what that looks like. You yeah. Know? So. Um, yeah, only nine shots though for Fred. Um, I think though that, you know, there were times where he sort of played more pick and roll, right? Mm -hmm. um, him and Christian Coloco sort of had that little bit of a spurt there when Pascal was out. That's kind of what you want to see. Like obviously Fred bringing a balance to the offense when Pascal's not there. Of course, I think yesterday was just a great example of like Scotty had a turn. Pascal had his turn. You know, Gary was sort of hitting all the shots around them. OG was sort of making the plays around them, hitting some shots around them. Fred had his little turn as well. And yeah, it just it produced a really nice win. I, I think my only question uh, about last night's game is just like, did you like the rotations from Nick? For the most part. Okay. Um, so to your point about everyone getting a turn, I thought that they did a good job at least trying to manage that. And, and Gary Trent, you know, you, you're going to do one of two things with him, right? You're going to have him be the last guy who subs out out of the starters because you want him playing those bench minutes or he's going to be the first guy out and then he's going to come back in early. Yeah. Um, so he got a, a good stretch where there weren't as many starters on and that's a way to keep him getting his touches. You know, he only took 12 shots last night. Um, also had seven free throw attempts. So he used 15, 16 possessions. Mm -hmm. um, that's a good number for him. And, yeah. and I think that him being a part of bench heavier units is a good way to do that. I think, you know, we're, we need way, way, way more sample for this. But I thought the Siakam-Trent bench groups and the Fred OG bench groups were, were the ones that, um, and I might be conflating, confusing those with, with preseason, but those are the two that have stood out to me as the, mm. the kind of most effective and balanced ones. The only lineup that I didn't really like was the one they used in the Wancho minutes. Yeah. And I just, I don't think that has anything to do with Wancho or where he fits. I just don't think him and Thad make sense together. Yeah, I agree. Um, you lose a little bit of that chaos part of the the second unit where. Well, first off, nobody went for an offensive rebound. Yeah. Right, and, and there weren't, and even if they did, they're not. They're your literally your two least athletic forwards. Yeah, and that's so you're not going to contest and win many of those. It's one thing if they're out there as part of a lineup that has just all your like Banton, Boucher, Achua, or, or Coloco, or something like that. Um, but they weren't out there in a lineup that could really take the most advantage of, I mean, first of all, with that, we saw it last year, like he's, he can help these young guys, but Thad's biggest utility is going to be playing in starter heavy minutes because mm. he's like a, an exponential guy, right? Like he makes things easier and, and he's, he's a dot connector in kind of a similar way to Marcus Gasol was on offense. So um, I just didn't think, and, and I know they're limited with no Boucher and, and Birch and, and Porter right now. I just a little curious how that's going to play out because yeah. if they're, if they're committed to keeping both of those guys in the rotation, um, you are obviously not changing your rotations for Thad Young and Juancho Hernan Gomez, but I don't know that that pairing is going to be super effective. Yeah. Uh, and, and to Nick's credit, by the way, played Thad a lot less in the second half, didn't play Juancho at all in the second half. Mm-hmm. And the part of that has to do with the fact that Precious was thinking up to join the first stint, and then second stint, he was great. Yeah. So, like, when he's not playing well, Nick's got to be like, I got to look for other options. And then you trust him to play well, and then he's like, I don't need to play these other options. So just good coaching by Nick all around. Uh, we did promise a Christian Coloco discussion, yeah. but we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to use that as a teaser. Come back for the Christian Coloco discussion, the second-round rookie for the Raptors. 
was very, very impressive in its debut in limited uh, playing time. So we're going to take that break. I'm your host, Willem Lou. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Have you checked out Bet Rivers yet? Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about Bet Rivers Sportsbook award winning customer service. It's a whole new game with Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook. Must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Continue to be joined by Blake Murphy. Um, so we teased this before the the break, but Christian Coloco, um, pretty strong debut for him last night. To be honest, I wasn't sure how much Christian Coloco was going to play as a second-round rookie, uh, uh, you know, but I think what he showed in Summer League, well, first of all, what he showed at Arizona is that he's a really good defender. What he shot at Summer League was he was really good defender in Summer League. Now, I was like, you know, Summer League, right? Preseason, I was like, oh, Christian Cloak is a pretty good defender. And then opening night, lo and behold, you're, go- you're playing a team with some centers. You throw Christian Coloco in there, and turns out he's playing some really damn good defense, including, but not limited to, walling off Evan Mobley. Also, uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell rising up. A dunk champion. I had to look that one up just to make yeah, sure. because That I- was great verticality. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Vince Carter jersey yeah, he, he year. Took the Vince Carter yeah, yeah. jersey year, right? He went up, was ready to post to somebody. Christian Coloco went up, was ready to block the shot, yeah. and and ultimately ended up being Mitchell having to change a shot, going around instead of through the guy, and he missed a layup. And also, by the way, Coloco got don't rebound for that, too. So really Starting solid. from a disadvantageous position, too, on yes. that drive. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, your impressions. Give, me a, give us some little uh, Christian Coloco hype. I tell you, I'm fed up. I'm uh, I'm fed up of every year the Raptors get someone in the second round who's super interesting. I'm like, sweet, this is going to be great to track this guy's progress with the 905, mm. and then they're good out of the gate. Mm. And so this happened with Delano Banton last yep. year. He only ended up playing seven 905 games because that first month of the season he was in the rotation, and then he was always close enough to the rotation that – you know, he obviously didn't play a lot in for long stretches of the season, but they weren't sending him down regularly. And yeah, I don't know that Christian Coloco is going to carve out a role once Boucher and Birch and Porter are all back. Like, I think he is going to spend a, a fair amount of 905 time, which is great for his development. But there is a small part of me that watched him in preseason and watched him in this game and was like, huh. Is Nick Nurse going to like just be like, no, I need this guy on the bench mm. as a change of pace? big if we run into a team that has multiple seven footers i thought last night his playing time at least initially was more about precious achua having a a pretty bad stretch i know they were set to check in at the same time but then coloco got to stay in and he got the second stint ahead of precious achua i thought that was more about achua than than Mm. coloco but a little bit of barnes foul trouble as well yeah Yeah. um but no i i'm tremendously impressed at just the foundation he's working from defensively. Yeah. And right now he's in a little bit of the early career Chris Boucher mode of like so much is react and use your athleticism and length. And that's awesome for a rookie to be able to do that stuff and impact possessions that way. Um, I start thinking about what he's going to be like once he 
has more experience in an NBA defense. And right. yeah, he's, uh, he's going to be, he's going to be cool. I think I well look, you know what? I agree with you. There was some reacting going on. Obviously the first play he, he bit on a fake, but then, mm-hmm. you know, he literally blocked there. Yeah. Garland on the way down. Yeah. So I, I, I think overall though, my impression watching him was just, he, he looked calmer than you would expect mm-hmm. from a second round, you know, rookie. Like he was in the right spots. He contested for rebounds and look, the Raptors have a very clear role for him. Right. I'm going to keep you around the basket. Not to say that you can't step up on a screen. You know, the Raptors love ball pressure. They love, you know, you know stepping up and stuff like that. But, like, they're not asking him to extend his defense 35 feet out like Scotty is when mm-hmm. he's on, when he's playing quote-unquote center for the starting group. Um, you know, but you're going to protect the basket. You're going to contest for rebounds. You're going to block shots. And we're going to find you. You're going to set some really good screens. And usually if you set a good screen, you're probably going to be open for a roll. Or if you're not open for a roll, you might keep your man honest. And I thought that that was another play where Fred got his only two-point basket of the game, came off a pick and roll where uh, Coloc was able to set a good screen. He was rolling. Evan Mobley was sort of playing that cat and mouse game. Fred sort of shifted one way, sort of baiting the, the lob. And so Evan shifted back over to Coloco, and that opened up Fred for the runner. Uh, things like that, where it's like you keep your role really simple. And, yeah, I mean, I think most importantly, the defense looks like it plays. Like Obviously, we're going to have to see a couple more games, but it was good. Yeah, the yeah. offensive stuff is going to be – I think they're going to keep it pretty simple for him, right? It's, but can and, he and, do the simple stuff, right? Because he yes. did miss a pair of dunks. Yeah, yeah, he did. And, uh, you know, th- he did get one basket, and Siakam kind of had to say after the game, like, yeah, I'm not going to let him get too high on it. You know, it was cool. but I mean, it was a putback dunk. That was pretty yeah. sick. Off of Siakam's drive, by the way. Yeah. Um, are we calling it a putback or, uh, or an assist? Um, yeah. Siakam only got one last night, so let's call <laughs> it an assist. Um, I think offensively, yeah, it's going to be clean up around the glass, yeah. roll really hard to the rim because mm-hmm. the Raptors don't really have anyone who's a traditional rim runner. And I think that that can help open up stuff in those second units or, or transitional units that aren't going to have a lot of spacing. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, offensively, the other thing that stood out is the capacity to make changes on the fly. And your Twitter video earlier highlighted it that within a sequence of two plays and one minute, yeah. he took coaching from first of all the play that he didn't do as well on yeah he ended up at the free throw line yeah exactly yeah and then the next play down he did i would imagine exactly what fred van vliet had been trying to coach him up on yeah um and it's not you know setting the screen higher is not the most complicated of things but it's good to show that capacity to pick it up on the fly and make adjustment like you didn't need a timeout you didn't need to sit down with a coach it was just okay next play i'm going to do that a little better do that a little differently i think that's great and then we didn't really see the kind of breakneck speed Raptors transition game as much yesterday. Yeah. Delano only played nine minutes. You don't have Boucher in there. Uh, but the thing that stood out most to me about Christian Coloco at Summer League was how hard and fast he runs the floor for yeah, a big, yeah. where if he doesn't get that defensive rebound, he's going to get some easy stuff in transition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And look, listen, if, if he finishes the rookie season with averages of like 6.6 rebounds on a block and he plays 10, 15 minutes, be thrilled. Yeah, if you put up six and six in ten minutes, you should be playing more than ten minutes. Okay, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, he had but, three and six last night in fifteen. Okay, all right. And that was right. like a pretty good. Well, I mean, listen, you you, yeah. you finish one or two or more of those dunks, you're yeah. right there. No, I, I think yeah, I, I, it's it's encouraging, and I think mm-hmm. that um, at the same time though, it's not necessarily surprising. Number one, because he was truly a standout player in Arizona. Yeah. Uh, number two. The Raptors are damn good at scouting. Like, please don't be surprised if the Raptors take somebody and they're good. 
Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Like, it's not like Christian Coloco was this unheard of sleeper. He played yeah. big minutes on a Pac-12 team. Yeah. Like, this is, we knew who Christian Coloco was. But still, the Raptors do seem to have a sense of, you know, the black box with player development right now is that kind of, to use a term I just used, developmental capacity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think teams know this is, or have a good sense of this is a guy's floor this is a guy's ceiling. The big question a lot of times, especially as you get deeper in the draft, is what is the likelihood he hits that ceiling or how do we get him to that ceiling? Yep. Or if not ceiling, the 80th percentile outcome. The Raptors seem to do a pretty good job evaluating how well and how quickly guys will be able to take coaching and take learning and apply yep. it to their games. Yep. Like we've seen that with Delano where a year in, he looks much, much more confident, not his greatest showing last night but i thought defensively it, was good yeah, yeah yeah he's he looks better defensively in the preseason he looked a lot better in the half court offensively yeah um and and i mean obviously siakam and van bleed are, are great examples of it too sure, scotty yeah. barnes being ahead of schedule but i i do think that's something that the raptors will probably continue to lean on when they have later picks is it's not necessarily who's the best player right now it's which of these players is going to which of these players has the makeup or or the that ability to develop because mm-hmm. not everyone has yeah. that some guys might have a higher ceiling than christian coloco and you for however the raptors evaluated be like yeah we don't think he'll reach it yeah and and listen he came to basketball late and he's already in the nba mm-hmm. right so that does show you a bit of a runway there and, and the ability to improve um Real quickly, I think I wanted to ask you so the, so the Raptors and Nick did say like you probably spent some time on 905. It's not a surprise to anybody, yes. right? But there is a way for players to both be on the Raptors and for the 905. Mm-hmm. I remember there were games last season where, where let's let's say it was a Monday, the Raptors played, then a Tuesday the Raptors had a day off. Uh Delano will go to Raptors practice, then he will go from Raptors practice to the Mississauga you know, um, arena so that they can go to play 905. Then on a Wednesday, the Raptors will play again. Delano will be there. Then on a Thursday, they will go down to the 905. Like, could we see that kind of pattern from Christian where he's able to sort of split both? Because, look, the Raptors might actually need him for a little bit uh, of a time here, especially with Cam suffering more injuries, unfortunately. Right? I do wonder if, if Chris Boucher was healthy, how much Christian would have ultimately played last night too. But still, like, there, there could be a utility here, and the Raptors sort of split the gap and even do kind of both things. G League opener for the 905 is November 5th. Okay, so, so you got like another month, like another two weeks at least. Yeah, yeah. he's got I, – I don't think they'll send him down there for camp. Like, I think Doughton and, and Harper will be down there for camp. Okay. Coloco, I mean, maybe if everyone gets healthy by by then, like camp starts Monday, I just – I think he's going to be around the team and maybe getting some minutes as, as soon as Monday. So um, November 5th is the opener. Obviously, when both teams are at home, we've seen the Raptors use that so aggressively. We've seen them do hilarious things like Malachi Flynn plays in the night, plays with the 905 on the road in the morning and then flies back to meet the Raptors uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, on the road that. in the evening. Like we've done that. Yep. Um, I've got this. This is the double header club. It's not updated for last year, but so this is all the, why do you have this? Blake? This is why, all why the, do you have this? Blake? So, so everyone can see, this is all the times a G leaguer oh, has God. done an NBA and a G league game in the same day. All the purple lines are the times the Raptors have done it. So it's basically just Raptors and then like Jordan Farmar in 2007. So, yeah, I think you'll see it a lot. I think they'll be pretty aggressive with it. I think that the 905 having such a strong 
coaching staff and player development staff themselves, um, you can be pretty confident in sending him down there and mm-hmm. knowing that it'll be the same messaging, the, the same type of defense, the same responsibilities for him. It's just, as Nick Nurse has said, big difference between playing 15 minutes in an NBA game twice a week if you get in to getting the odd 35-40 minute game where, yeah. hey, the closeout of that game last night, there's no chance Coloco is going to be on the floor for that. Down in the G League, he'd be on the floor in every situation like that, and that's an important part of development as well. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, you, you're a sickle for having that chart, man. I know. This guy this guy mentioning Jordan Farmar's G League appearances in oh, 2009. Buddy, you want to see? This no, is the I, 905 rights sheet right now. I got the I 905. This is, this is my working theory that you're actually Chad Sanders. <laughs> no, he is. He is. Uh, although... Chad Sanders does look enough like Dan Stevens, the actor, that like you could uh, okay. like okay, he's got an acting thing on the side and he's just contracting out the GM work. No, mm-hmm. um, nine hundred five have a pretty good team. Obviously, we could talk yeah. about that a, a different Blake Murphy no, Tuesday we, or Thursday. We definitely will talk about that, but uh, for now, actually, to, before we end the show, I actually wanted to talk a little bit of just about the Raptors finances. This again, one. Oh, okay. I got wow. a sheet for All everything. Right. Why do you have another spreadsheet, man? What's going on with you? <laughs> oh, they're so organized too. They're different colors. Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the extension deadline sort of came and passed for Pascal. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, there is no deadline for, for Freddie. What's going on there? So technically, if you have two years left on your deal, as Pascal Siakam does, yeah, you can't negotiate an extension once the season starts. You have to wait until July 1st or whenever the season ends. Um, okay. Because the second year of Fred Van Vliet's deal is an option, you have that. I don't think this is likely at all. Like in my head... The Fred Van Vliet extension talks are probably done until next offseason. So 4-1-14 four, four, wasn't enough? When you see Tyler Hero and and those guys getting, and Jordan Poole getting 4-1-30, 4-1-40, the cap's going up, man. All right. It's, uh, we're projecting right now. So what's the cap right now? Cap is 123.6 or something like that. And it's expected to be like 134 next year. Hmm. So already you're talking about a percentage, an extra percentage of an extra 10 million. And like, so the Raptors can't give Fred his max right now because of the limiting rules around veteran extensions. He could only get a 20% raise. He's looking at some of these contracts. He's looking where the cap's going. I think he's probably saying, let's at least wait until there's some, more cap certainty on his side. So he doesn't cash in now and realize a year from now that he could have cashed in even more. Mm, I just, and I think that the relationship is so strong between Van Vliet and the organization that there's no like animosity in that because it helps the team to get that certainty as well. Um, I, I thought early in the offseason, 4-1-14 would get it done, and then we started hearing all these rumors about what the new TV deal that'll kick in in 2025 could look like. Yeah, it's like... It's like $75 billion versus $24 billion. Something yeah. like that. And, and we saw what happened last time, right? Like the 2016 spike where the Warriors were able to get KD. Mm. I I hope the NBA and the union learn their lesson and they'll smooth it out more this time. But n- until we know what that looks like, if you're a guy like Fred who, you know, Pascal, it's it's a little easier because he's a max guy, right? Like the, the percentage of the cap is the percentage of the cap. Yeah. If he signed an extension today, it wouldn't be a dollar. We'd report a dollar amount, but really it would be like, okay, X percent of the cap, whatever the cap is in 2024. For Fred, there's not that same certainty because he can only get a 20% raise. So um, I think that makes sense from his perspective. I don't think we'll hear a lot about negotiations in the season. Mm. Um Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe they do get it done. But I, I would I would lean against that being something they revisit in the summer when we okay. we have that TV uh, that TV information. The, honestly, I, I wanted to ask you about this. The the most 
surprising part of that flurry of transactions and non-transactions the other day. Mm-hmm. And it's not like a massive surprise because it's only $3.8 million. Yeah. But then picking up the fourth year on Malachi Flynn was, yeah. was interesting given how limited his role would be. So he'll be on the books for about $4 million next year. I mean, it, I, like I said, it, it's it's weird. It's just like the price is right. Like, you know he's a solid player at least that you can kind of turn to. Whether you see the potential of him being more than that, well, who knows? But, you know, it's... I mean, you at least give him a little bit more time in your program to sort of see it, whether he f- fully fits the style of play. I'm, I'm still, I think there are questions about that. But, yeah, I mean, like $4 million is is very, very low, right? So it's like you got to play on your books. You know, it, it doesn't really push you one way or the other for me. And I think if you needed to sort of even include that into another deal, like you can kind of do it, right? That's the thing that's like people kind of get upset about like, oh, you know, Cam, like he's on a three-year deal. Like what I was like, look, eventually if you want to make these kind of trades, right, you need to sort of aggregate together salaries and looking ahead to the trade deadline, not that we need to do this right now, but like you have more movable salary pieces this year. Like you have guys who are making those in-between salaries of bad at 8.15 with only 1 million guaranteed next year. Right. That's a, that's a financial Mm -hmm. asset on top of the fact that he's a really good player, Yeah, you know, for his role. So um, yeah, there's, there's more possibilities and we're going to have you on to discuss all of those, uh, you know, soon, but, uh, yeah. I mean, what are you ending the show, show two minutes early? Uh, no, no, uh, this might be an accident on my part, but, but Blake, uh, you know, any, anything else uh, you wanted to bring on, uh, you know, last second here? No, not go? really. I mean, I'm really excited for, for the this weekend. This is a bad job of hosting on my part. I don't I, know why I did this, but it's all Look, good. I know you have a show tomorrow. People won't hear from me before the next couple games, but yeah. I think, Brooklyn's going to be a, a lot of fun to watch. They, I, I PVR'd and went back and watched part of that game last night because I was as much interested in Brooklyn as anything. We got a little dose of headband JV for part of that game, uh, okay. which was cool. Zion looked, looked Zion really looks, good. Yeah, Zion but looks good. The Nets were a disaster. Like Kyrie and Ben Simmons were terrible. Ben Simmons fouled out again. Why does he keep fouling out? I mean, is this what happens when you don't play basketball for two years? It's also the, when you're... Surrounded by a, a handful of guys who don't play much defense. Maybe, mm. maybe you're doing a little too much. Yeah. Uh, Utah, Utah got nine minutes in that game, too. As he should. Was it yeah. garbage time or no? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I yeah. mean, it's fine. Nine minutes is nine minutes. Happy yeah. for Utah, um, as always. But no, listen, they, they need defense on that team. Yeah. Um, but anyway, this is just to say I'm really excited about the weekend. Brooklyn and Miami both looked yeah, bad yesterday, yeah. but they're going to be, you know, hungry to get back on, on the winning side. And obviously there are a lot of Raptors connections with those two teams. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And we get the first of these little double dips where they'll play Miami twice in a row Saturday and Monday. Yeah. And tactically it's going to be really interesting, especially when you have uh, Eric Spolstra and Nick Nurse be able to do it but look we happy have, uh, basketball's back man oh are you kidding me this is my whole day uh that does it for us today though i'm your host will Lou, and you've been listening to the raptor show on the sportsnet radio network make sure you find the raptor show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review our show a reminder we're streaming live on sportsnet's youtube channel and airing live on sportsnet 360 monday to friday from 2 to 3 p.m thanks again to blake murphy our board producer Derek brandale and jennifer Rowland for helping us with the youtube stream i will talk to you tomorrow 